What's up, Crypt Nation? How the heck are you guys doing today? Uh, whether it's a morning, a noon, or a night for you, just know that you're in the right place. Today we're joined by a gentleman named Mance Harmon. And this guy, uh, he's awesome. You guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. He's a really clever and engaging character. And, you know, when we met him for the first time, we were so, so excited just to get him on the show. And here he is today. You know, he's done so much in his career. He's been a computer science instructor at the Air Force Academy, and he was running missile defense programs. Um, he's a prominent machine learning scientist, and he started a few tech startups. And on top of all that, uh, he is currently at the helm of one of the most unique and talked about projects in the space, something called Hedera Hashgraph. Bryce, uh, my mom just sent me a text, and she wants to know the easiest way that she can buy Bitcoin right now. <laughs> Interesting. Um, well, okay, I would do one of two things. The only thing better than buying Bitcoin is winning Bitcoin. So I would first send her to the BRD app. Uh, I would tell her to download that, create her wallet, and she'll get prompted with a free giveaway, a golden ticket. So I would say, try that. And then when she's in the app, she can connect her bank account or a debit card or a credit card and start buying Bitcoin and Ethereum. So yeah, so I would that's what I would tell her. Thanks, that's pretty good advice. Okay, well, let's get on with the show. Yeah, so Mance, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're super excited. There's a lot of ground to cover. I mean, we are fascinated by Hashgraph personally, and we really want to dive into this whole idea of, you know, everybody is familiar with crypto and blockchain, right? And they always equate the two, but that's actually not the entire story. There's lots of different ways to decentralize data. Uh, you know, we're really going to get into that. But before we dive in, I kind of just want to get familiar with who you are and like, why'd you choose crypto of all the different you know areas of the world that you could have worked in? Um, and, and what's life like as the CEO of a crypto company? I, I have some gray hair. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, and when I say this, I mean, I've been in the tech industry for a lot of years. Lehman Baird, who's my co-founder, he and I have been working together since 1993 uh, we started off doing machine learning research back in the early 90s, reinforcement learning specifically, or deep learning, uh, reinforcement learning with neural networks. And then we both taught computer science at the Air Force Academy. I was a course director for cybersecurity. I managed a massive software program for the Missile Defense Agency. So, you know, heavy duty software engineering to the tunes of, of, of millions of lines of code. And we decided we wanted to be entrepreneurs. And so we've started and sold a couple of companies. Both were in the space of identity and access management. Lehman is just an amazing computer scientist. He's a PhD from Carnegie Mellon. Uh, and he he just solves hard problems. That's what he does. And in 2012, he went to work to solve a really hard math puzzle, basically the, the problem was how can you have distributed consensus, a consensus algorithm that achieves the limits of security, the theoretical limit in terms of security, while at the same time achieving the theoretical limit in terms of performance. He wanted both concurrently. And he worked for years, several years until 2015. He solved that problem. Today, we call that the hash graph. The solution is, is now called the hash graph. And uh, we decided to, to commercialize it. We saw the potential for using this algorithm to do some good in terms of improving, uh, improving the way the internet works in some fundamental ways, changing the computing model of the internet. 
and we kicked it all off in 2015. And here we are several years later now getting ready to launch the product with Hedera Hashgraph. So that's really fascinating. Uh, you've lived quite a tremendous life already. I just got to know what goes through your mind like on a day-to-day basis? Like what do you, what's the first thing you think of when you wake up and what keeps you up at night? <laughs> well, that, that changes from night to night. But if I were to say, you know, another way of, of asking that question is if you had a magic wand, what is it that you would change? And, um, and I have thought a lot about that. In the world of, of startups, you have to be really comfortable with a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty in, in just about every part of the business. And that was true in the prior businesses that we've, that we've started and run. In this world, it's, it's certainly true, but it's true and it's like on steroids. And the one piece of uncertainty that I wish I could resolve is that of the regulatory environment. And, and it's interesting because in most parts of the business, you can affect change. If you want to apply resources and, and take some action to reduce the uncertainty to some degree, then, then you do that. But in the world of um, you know, crypto and how we relate to the world governments and regulators, there's not a whole lot that we can do. There are a few things that we can do, but not nearly as much as I would like. And if I could change it, that's the one thing that I would change so that we understand the rules that uh, are going to apply to us. And, And once that clarity comes, then I think it will unlock it will do one of two things. It's either going to kill the industry, and I think there's a non-zero chance that that could happen, but it's more likely that it just provides the clarity needed for, for all of us, the, those that are in the industry, to adjust the way that we do business and finally be able to, to operate without concern. And, and when that comes, I think the industry is going to balloon or explode in, in ways that we haven't yet seen. But the regulatory clarity is is the one thing that keeps me up at night, or the lack of regulatory clarity is what keeps me up at night. Yeah, I think uh, I definitely concur with that statement. Uh, you know, every, everybody echoes that sentiment. I mean, just kind of as a sidebar, what are your thoughts? Have you been uh, following the Senate banking hearings in the states uh, in regards to Libra, and particularly? Uh, and then also they kind of mentioned Bitcoin and stuff, but just would love your quick thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think that Libra in particular, there's that that's probably one of the most important events in the industry ever uh, since it's been started. It's been good in the sense that regulators around the world are now serious. You know, they're they're looking at this in a way that they weren't previously looking at it. And I do think that regulation is coming. Now, in particular, when we're talking about Libra or Calibra, you know, Facebook specifically, Calibra, um, most of the concerns have to do with KYC and and AML or anti-money laundering activities and, uh, you know, currency. And what we're doing is far bigger than that. In fact, Calibra is is the one that has a, a lot of work to be done on the regulatory side and complying with various regimes where Libra and Hedera Hashgraph in that sense are in some ways just, um, you know, networks, you know, sort of should be treated in the same way that the telcos networks are, are treated. 
so, so Libra in particular has an, an additional complexity that we don't have, and that's in that their token is in some ways an ETF. You know, they have this fund in some ways where the members of the of Libra contribute ten million dollars each, and then when people want to use the token, they they put in dollars or fiat, and that goes into that ETF-like fund. And there's that's just a whole ball of wax in and of itself in terms of regulatory complexity. So they've got they've got all the problems of uh, you know Facebook battling a, a reputation for not not having uh, you know the best track record when it comes to privacy, and then they've made life more complicated in the the token structure, and then Calibra on top of that being focused on payments in particular when that's where the the biggest concerns are is the money anti money laundering and KYC and and uh, all the concerns with Treasury. So, you know, I thought our life was hard. I thought that I was dealing in a world of complexity. I think that they have it worse by an order of magnitude. Do you guys view Libra as a competitor? Or if not, who are your competitors? You might say that Libra could be a competitor because they're a general purpose network. Having said that, if you just take at face value what their focus is in, in the white paper and what's been stated publicly, they really do seem to be focused on payments. And uh, we're not. You know, Calibra is building a payment solution on top of, of Libra. And when you look at the members that have been chosen to be a part of Libra, the organization or the alliance, they seem to have been chosen in order to help Calibra get scale. Uh, and so if, from that perspective, no, we don't have a Calibra equivalent. We're, we're not focused on payments as a, as a global solution, you know, an alternative global currency in the same way that Calibra is. But on the other hand, they, uh, they've adopted our model. And, and what I mean by that is we championed, we, we were the first to go to market with an alliance or a council, we call it a council, that's providing the oversight of the network and, and the council is running the initial set of nodes. Ultimately, it will be open to many tens of thousands of nodes. But, um, you know, Facebook, when, when designing their solution, they've adopted that type of governance model. And we're, we're happy about that because we think it validates the model that we've chosen. And, uh, and, and I think in some ways it does raise the bar on the industry. You know, it's no longer really good enough to just have a platform and a community. You now have to have a governing body that is respected by the mainstream, the mainstream markets that are going to potentially be using the network. We've always thought that that's the reason that we put our council together in the way that we have. And, uh, and they, they agreed. And so we're flattered by that. But again, there are also some really fundamental differences between what they're doing and what we are doing as sort of a general purpose public distributed ledger for for the mainstream. Amazing. I, I saw on your site your guys' slogan is, it's been their internet for too long, time to make it yours. And so I think this is very uh, you know appropriate in light of like, it's been their internet as in Facebook and Amazon, whatever, Fang, right? Or GAFA. 
um, all sure. Google. And so it's been their internet. Now it's making it, let's make it yours. So could we talk a little bit about how Hedera is actually putting, you know, power back in the hands of people over data ownership and financial sovereignty and like all these beautiful, wonderful things that crypto does, like, but specifically how is uh, Hedera doing it? Yeah, well, look, it, it goes back to solving that original problem. I mean, when Lehman was working on today what we call Hashgraph, before it was Hashgraph, his vision was the ability to change the computing model of the internet to achieve some very cool things. And when I say that, what, here, here's what I mean. When you talk about GAFA or just you know the, the compute model of the internet today, there is a server or a cluster of servers that are run by a single organization. And then there's client software running on computers and smartphones. They are all connecting to that server, that central server. And the users are doing something that ultimately contributes value to that organization that owns and runs the server. That organization is monetizing that value. And, um, and you have to trust that central organization with the way that your money is accounted for within, within that software, that platform, whatever it is, the way that your privacy is protected. If there's information that you're contributing, like we do with the social media platforms, the, you know, that, that information that you're contributing is creating value for that central organization and they turn around and they monetize it. What Lehman envisioned was the ability for individuals to sort of reach out and carve out a slice of cyberspace and create the same types of applications, but then invite your friends or colleagues into this piece of cyberspace that you've created without the need to trust a central server or a central organization with your data or your privacy or your or your money for that fact to be able to play together and work together and buy and sell goods and services with each other without there being that central organization in the middle and that fundamentally changes the landscape for for the internet that's what i mean when i say it's a new compute model and um and, and the implications of that are enormous. There can be an Uber without an Uber. There can be a distributed Uber, or a distributed Twitter, or a distributed Facebook, or you name it. You, you know, the, the, all these centralized platforms that have achieved success through network effects um, can be disintermediated. And the value that's created in those platforms can be shared by those that are contributing the value. It should be. Those that are contributing um, the data to the creation of the network that achieves those networking effects should participate through the use of micropayments when that information is used. And so it really is fundamentally changing um, the, the way the economy of the internet works. And, and that's what we mean when we say it's time to take it back. Sorry, Mance, uh, just to interrupt real quick. My mom just texted me back. She said, <clears throat> I bought some Bitcoin on BRD. I like the colors. I thought it was going to be awful, but it actually worked. It was pretty easy. So I'm going to tell my sewing circle about it. <laughs> that fires me up, man. Talk about mass adoption, you know, when sewing circles all around the world are turning into full-blown Crusaders of Crypt Nation. There's just nothing better. Doesn't get better than that. And it just goes to show that crypto doesn't have to be hard or scary or overwhelming. 
Don't care what the media tells you. All you need to participate in this revolution of money is the super easy to use BRD app. And that's it. Good on Pizza Mom for spreading the gospel. And don't forget to remind her to check back on September 1st to see if she won that Bitcoin giveaway. All right. Anyway, sorry, Mance. Let's get back to it. How does the average consumer use your product and who's your ideal customer? So today, um, the product is not yet launched. We anticipate that it will be by the end of summer. We have had some community test programs for the mainnet. Uh, the first one was back in December and ran into January. And, uh, and then more recently, in the past six to eight weeks, something like that, we've had another community test underway. In, in those, I think here's a good example of how it could be used. The, the testers or the community members can create an account on the platform. They can download a Chrome extension that is effectively a wallet embedded into Chrome. And then they can browse a website that we've created. We call it the Daily Timestamp. And the Daily Timestamp actually has real content on it about various topics, predominantly um, related to you know what we're doing, Hedera and, and the platform, etc. But they're news topics. And when you read one of those news items um, or articles, I should say, then you make a micropayment for the consumption of that that news article or that 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 piece of content. And it happens automatically? It happens automatically, exactly. There's no friction, very little friction in this process. And this is just to demonstrate one model that could be used to eliminate paywalls, for example. Uh, and you know, if, if artists have content online that they want to monetize through a website, then you go, you listen to the song, and maybe you pay a tenth of a cent for for the usage or the listing of that song. It's just a different model. And normally when we talk about micropayments like this, we're, we're talking about the consumer facing uh, applications like the ones I just described or Wikipedia. You know, you go and you, you read a wiki article and you, you pay a tenth of a cent for that wiki article. And, um, you know, and that's a different kind of revenue model for the Wikimedia Foundation, rather than relying on charity, they can monetize their content in this way. But I think that the bigger uh, use case is, is in the B2B applications. Every company out there has data that they would like to monetize, but the friction in monetizing that data is too high to, to make it worthwhile today. If we you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We have a common economic layer of the internet where I can show up and consume data without having to pre-establish a business relationship. No credit cards, no payment terms, just consume the data and pay for it with HBAR crypto. Um, That is a low friction uh, solution that makes it possible to have revenue models that previously have been intractable or, or too much friction to to realize. And, and it's just this is just one example. I mean, fundamentally, what we have is a network that provides services that developers can consume when building arbitrary applications. Any application or DAP that you can imagine could be built on top of Hedera. And this, you know, we're just sort of unlocking this distributed computing model that uh, that makes it possible for developers to to realize their vision. Of all the apps that you've seen built on Hedera, is there one standout that gets you really excited? I think tokenization of assets, for example, is going to be a really important category. And then there are things that I think are going to be longer term, but maybe have a even broader implication for the market. I think that IoT, for example, Internet of Things, ultimately has to have an economic layer like what I'm describing, you know, the ability for things to engage other things and negotiate payment terms in a marketplace and then make those payments, you know, provide the services and make those payments. Really what excites me is a little bit further out, but it is distributed marketplaces that can be automated. Like uh, kind of the autonomous value transfer uh, between machines is kind of your vision for the future. That's it. I mean, it should be possible, for example, for, for me to have light bulbs that are smart in the sense that you know they, they can register their identity with a directory, a services directory. And, and then when these light bulbs burn out, Amazon or Walmart or any of the vendors of light bulbs that I have approved to participate in a marketplace, when they can see it. They can see that the light bulbs have burned out. They can compete um, in some type of auction process for the opportunity to replace those light bulbs. Then those light bulbs show up on my doorstep and I know I've got the best price, right? That kind of you know, automated marketplace I think will ultimately be game changing in in our lives in a lot of different ways. And it's hard to even begin to think about how all of that could unfold. But I think that those, those mark the distributed marketplace with of things that takes advantage of the distributed computing model and the cryptocurrency with support for micropayments will, you know, over the next 20 years, it will change our lives as fundamentally as the last 20 years have been changed by the internet. What makes Hedera Hashgraph not a blockchain? And why did you choose this alternative structure? Uh, like what's similar and what's, what's different? 
Yeah. Well, so blockchain as a term refers to both a data structure and an algorithm. The, the data structure is a chain of blocks of transactions. And so you have a block, which is just think of it as a bucket uh, of, of a list of transactions that, you know, Alice pays Bob a token, for example, is a transaction. So it's full of transactions. And then there is a pointer from one block to the previous block uh, that, that was put on the chain. And, and that's the chain of blocks of transactions. And it's very linear. It is a chain in that sense. And then the consensus algorithm is just an algorithm where all the nodes in the network that have a copy of this data structure, they have a copy of the blockchain. They come to agreement on which block should be put on top of the, the chain. And they all, you know, it takes time for that to happen. So these blocks, multiple blocks are proposed uh, to be put on top of the chain. Those blocks flow to all the nodes in the network. They come to an agreement on which one to put on top of the chain and the others they throw away. And, and it's, a, it's a slow process. It's done in, in a, sort of a serial fashion. In fact, proof of work is designed to slow down the network long enough to give the community time to figure out which block should go on top. So it's all designed really to be slow. And that's reflected in in the you know throughput for proof of work blockchain today, whether it be Ethereum or Bitcoin. You know the number of transactions per second is measured in in the tens, if that. What we have is not a chain at all. Hash graph as a term both refers to a data structure and a consensus algorithm. The data structure is not a chain. It's technically it's a a graph. That's the mathematical term for it. It's a, it's a it's a graph, which has each node in the network submitting transactions as soon as they come in. They don't have to group them. They could, but they don't have to group them into blocks. Just when transactions are submitted by software, you know, client software running on your phone submits a transaction to a node. The node then s- sends that into the network and. All of this, all of these transactions get woven together in this graph in real time. And as the transactions sort of pile up, it just becomes clear to the nodes in the network through the use of the consensus algorithm, the order of the transactions and and every node comes to the same conclusion on the order of transactions and you have consensus. So it's the, the transactions are being processed in parallel in this graph rather than in a chain and you don't have to wait there's no proof of work or anything that's designed to slow it down in fact it's just the opposite as fast as those transactions can get gossiped to all the nodes in the network globally it's you know you can begin to operate on them and and put them in a consensus order immediately and so it's just fundamentally different than blockchain and uh, and for all the reasons I just described, it's orders of magnitude faster. Super cool. Would you say that like there's a higher maybe a higher chance of double spending or a higher chance of spam attacks on a structure like Hashgraph? No, it's no higher chance. Um, in fact, what happens is the transactions get put into order. Every node has a local copy of the hash graph. And the hash graph is what I just described, this, this graph of transactions. And every node has a local copy of the hash graph. 
And then the nodes come to agreement on the order of those transactions. And once the community knows for sure, you know, the, the, the order of the transactions are final in that sense. Um, and by the way, they're final with 100% certainty within seconds. This is another fundamental difference between Hashgraph and blockchain. In blockchain, you have these blocks and they sort of get piled up on top of each other. And there's, with Bitcoin anyway, there's a 10 minute delay between each block. And you never know for sure that that block isn't going to be dropped or the order of these blocks changed. It's sort of probabilistic. And, and so people say, after an hour, you can be 99.999% sure that the order of the blocks will never change. Well, that's an hour of, of waiting, and you never get to 100% certainty. In Hashgraph, within a few seconds, you achieve 100% certainty with a math proof that the order will never change. So you know for sure it's final. Once you have that, you then all the nodes know exactly that. They just then take the transactions and apply them to the ledger. And, you know, if there's a, uh, one of the things they do when they're applying it to the ledger, say Alice wants to pay Bob a token, they just look to see if Alice has balance, you know, enough coins in her balance to make the payment. If she does, then they do the transfer between the two entries in the ledger and they're done. But there's no opportunity for double spins in the way that there's sort of an opportunity for double spins in, in um, blockchain. It's just not possible. Awesome. I see. I've actually, yeah, I never had gotten an answer to that question. So I really appreciate you spelling that out for us. Sure. Um, so I let's, I kind of always like to ask this question and it's basically of all the companies that are in crypto, who would you say is making the biggest impact uh, and why? Um, and it can't be your own company. No, no, that's really easy. In my opinion, I feel very strongly about this. I think that, and I said it before, I think that Facebook Libra is a game changer. And it's a game changer in a number of ways. One, Facebook has the reach and uh, the user base for the first time to actually take a payment solution to the masses and potentially have it adopted. And they're one of the few companies in the world that have the kind of network and, and reach to be able to do that in a quick way, in a quick fashion. And because of that, the, the world governments and the regulators are all taking notice and now they are moving in a way that they weren't previously. And, and so, you know, there's sort of the crypto world pre-Facebook and the crypto world post-Facebook. And I think that ultimately those two worlds are going to look very different. The, the pre-Facebook world, um, you know, there was a first gen in the early platforms that just demonstrated that doing this was possible at all. They are going to either change or die. Post-Facebook world that starts to mainstream the category and that, that mainstreaming of the category means that governance, for example, begins to play a much more prominent role in the, the platforms. It's, it's going to be really important that the markets, when I talk about the markets, what I mean by that is 
when I, when I say mainstream markets, I mean the businesses out there, whether they're small or medium businesses or, or global enterprises, they have to trust that whomever it is that's making decisions about the platform, that body um, is trustworthy and that they know what they're doing. It's, it's not really good enough to have a set of core developers making fundamental decisions uh, about a layer of the internet that will be the basis for, for global commerce. Um, I, at least I don't think that that will be good enough at scale with mainstream adoption. And so I think Facebook in their choice of governance models has acknowledged that and made it clear that they're taking those concerns uh, seriously. And that's the reason that they've chosen the governance model. And I, I think that that's, you know, there's going to be a lot more of that going forward, a, a new focus and emphasis on the governance of these global networks. While we championed it, Facebook validated it. Now that's a requirement for any platform that wants to be taken seriously in the next five years. I think that sentiment is is very widely held that Facebook is making the biggest impact. And it's kind of funny that, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, how can I trust, you know, Facebook and how can I trust Uber and all these, you know, Visa and MasterCard, all these companies that are part of the council that, you know, have had plenty of, you know, breaches of privacy and breaches of, you know, maybe morals, if you will. But it's, it you know, this whole governance model in the spirit of blockchain and the spirit of hash graph, if you will, is, you know, you don't have to trust just Facebook. You have to trust that they all trust each other, right? Like it's this whole web of trust that, you know, they're all trusting each other. So it's it's really going to be impossible to cheat the system. Well, that's it. It's, it's, it's even a little bit better than that. When we design our governance model, this is another way in which we're different, by the way, with Libra. We're choosing the council members to be cross-sector. We want representation on a council from 18 sectors of the market. So it's not a bunch of banks or tech giants or, or whatever. It's across 18 sectors. They're geo-distributed, so covering the entire planet. And then finally, ours are term limited. They can't stay members forever. And we chose the council in this way because... If you do so, then the likelihood that the council members, a significant number of the council members are going to be colluding with each other to do bad things goes way down. You know, if you choose a council that's nothing but banks, for example, then maybe the banks all have an incentive in some way to work together that's not in the interest necessarily of the of the rest of the of the sectors or the market, and they do collude. But if you if you so you want to eliminate that or, or mitigate it, and the way in which you do that is by making sure you have global diversity uh, across sectors, and um, and uh, enough of those council members that uh, the likelihood that they're actually colluding to 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 do something evil is is really low. You don't. In other words, you're eliminating the trust in a single council member and replacing it with a trust in a community that is, uh, that is not going to be colluding. It's a, it's, a, it's a better trust model. Well said. Thank you. We have time for just one more question today. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we learned so much. 
But if this is the first podcast that someone getting into the crypto space heard, what would you want them to know? Hmm. That's a great question. You know, here's the interesting thing. I remember trying to tell my parents back in the 90s about email and about the web. And it was difficult, right? It was, it was diff- I mean, email is a little bit easier because it's just an application. But when you talk about the web and you're trying to describe what is the World Wide Web in 1993, that was tough. And the reason it was tough is because there may have been a, a few hundred websites, maybe a little bit more than that in 1993, 92, that time frame. And it was very abstract. I think we're still there. I, I think that's where we are as an industry. I can sit down and, and tell people about distributed marketplaces and maybe use cases. And if we go, let's go back to email again, right? Let's use in the same way that I was describing email to my parents in 93. When we talk about a single application, in this case, email, we might tell our, our friends and family you know, with the use of micropayments, um, there is a way to eliminate spam uh, because the spammers would end up having to pay for every email sent. And if you're if you're legitimate, you're just sending emails to your friends and family. The cost doesn't matter; it's tiny. But if you're a spammer and you're sending it to millions of people, the cost is prohibitive. Right? That's an easy way of describing the benefits of this next generation of the internet. But when you get into distributed, what is a distributed ledger and, you know, sort of a shared database where the members don't have to trust each other, all of that's very abstract. So I think it's difficult to, to achieve it uh, in a meaningful way outside of the use cases. And we're still figuring out the use cases. That's awesome. I, I love the the callback to the early days of email. That's awesome. Oh, I remember being in college and using email in college, but this was pre-AOL. I think Prodigy was around. I had a Prodigy account and uh, you, you know the World Wide Web did not exist in the way that it does today. I would definitely say that uh, these crypto economies are just as or more significant than the web itself. I think you're right. The results are going to be profound, but it's going to take 20 years to for all that to mature. And here we are, 2019, thinking back to the beginning of the World Wide Web in 1993, right? 26 years ago. Mance, I can't tell you how much of a pleasure it was to have you on the show today. Um, thank you so much for your time. No, guys, thank you so much for your interest, and I'm I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. And, and Mance, if people want to stay in touch with you, we'll point them to Twitter, which is at Hashgraph, and your personal Twitter is at Mance Harmon. Um, and those will all be linked to in the show notes. So thank you so much for your time, and we will catch everybody later. Ciao. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.